0: This is Living Lean, the show that teaches you how to apply the science of nutrition and training to sustainably create your leanest, strongest body and build the most confident version of yourself. I'm your host, Jeremiah Bear. Let's get into the show. Yo, welcome back to Living Lean. This is Jeremiah Bear, as always. Today, I'm joined by my man, Steve Hall. Steve, thank you so much for being here. Again, dude, it's an honor.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's always nice uh, being on podcasts, let alone uh, being the interviewee, I guess. <laughs> yes, sir. So, quite
0: the role reversal for you. I mean, I know you've been on quite a few podcasts, but for those listeners who might not know, just tell us who is Steve Hall in a nutshell?
1: Cool. So, I guess um, in a nutshell, I am the founder of Revive Stronger, which is an online personal training service we have how many coaches do we have on the team now we've expanded so we have i think there's uh, four of us officially and we have an intern as well which is awesome so we get to help people all over the world and we specialize in physique development so fat loss muscle gain that sort of thing we work with a a lot of personal trainers actually and a lot of coaches themselves so i guess they're the type of person that take this sort of thing very seriously and maybe a lot of the listeners are that sort of person as well but also competitors, people who take it to stage, bodybuilders, bikini competitors, that sort of thing, all in the kind of natural arena. uh, Because yeah, I don't even want to, the other side is just, there's so much there. Um, So yeah, certainly not going to try and be an expert in that. Uh, Also Revive Stronger is a a content provider. So we have our podcast, the Revive Stronger podcast, and I'm honored to interview people on a weekly basis, experts from the industry, and just delving into their brain and their knowledge and trying to kind of share that with the world, which Um, has been really fruitful. And I'm so proud of kind of what that podcast has become actually. Uh, And yeah. And apart from that, we also have um, some ebook products, our membership site, which we just launched this year, uh, which is super exciting and growing that community. And then uh, we, kind of run a a yearly seminar in London which we typically get over Dr Mike and friends uh, which are also running this year and it's going to be the the biggest one actually ever we have uh, Jared Feather and Dr Mike facing off with Eric Helms and Alberto Nunez so That'll be uh, dope. Yeah, it's going to be incredible. Alberto and Eric were people I looked up to before I was any part of the fitness industry. Um, right. so to have had them on the podcast and now bringing them over, uh, to London and they haven't been over for years is absolutely incredible to me. So yeah, that's kind of me as a, a business person, I guess. And as an athlete, I'm a natural bodybuilder. So had two competitive seasons, uh, last season got to British finals in two of the kind of, yeah, the British, uh, natural bodybuilding competition. So I was super happy to place in both. Um, haven't won any kind of finals, haven't won any shows, um, but who knows? Watch this space. It's I'm going. in prep at the moment, so maybe this year. Um, and then uh, I guess I'm a dog owner. I love my coffee. I love my pizza. <laughs> I love my girlfriend. Um, and I love a bit of trash TV. Love Island's on at the moment, so that's kind of I love my it. evening kick.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. So first I want to say, you got a lot bigger, dude. I was just oh, like awesome. 30 minutes ago looking at just doing my final like research for this podcast and checking out like the about all the authors, like reading up on you a little bit more. Obviously, I've listened to the podcast a long time. So, in that weird like listening to a podcast way, I feel like I know you, but I was like, damn, like in this seat was a lot smaller whenever they took these pictures. So, one kudos to you. Um, one thing off the cuff actually that I wanted to ask you about because this is something I've heard you talk about before. I've always really related to you talking about like, you have Mike Isertel on all the time. You have all these brilliant minds on. And for you, I've heard you talk about imposter syndrome a couple of times. This isn't really the direction I thought this podcast was going to go, but well, it's here, I wanted to talk about that. Tell me like for you, what's it like being surrounded by all these brilliant people? Is that something that you feel like you struggle with still?
1: So I think it's certainly something I struggled with at the beginning and I don't know if I did. Uh, deal with it in the right way from the start. If anyone was to look at uh, our YouTube channel uh, from the start, it's my personal one. uh, Essentially, it's now the business YouTube channel. But if you look back at any of the first videos I ever put out, um, there's some awful ones that you can look at where I'm trying to pose in my pants and I'm trying to be like Matt Ogus or uh, trying to be the Hodge twins, for example. And I just started kind of repeating things I'd heard and not really knowing anything. And I think I was in that kind of when you think about um, knowledge, I was in that kind of real beginner zone where I thought I knew more than I knew kind of that Dunning Kruger effect where, you know, so little that you're kind of deadly and you think, you know, more than everyone else. I learned like these small little bits from general people and just started like spitting it out as if I knew what I was talking about, but I really didn't. So that was all the way back in. I think I started kind of getting really into the thick of things, maybe 2011, So now, obviously, that's nine years ago. It's been ages. So um, that is slowly I've developed and I kind of went into my own shell and started actually taking things on board, learning things a bit better, reading textbooks, kind of educating myself a little bit more so that I could actually kind of say the things that I'd heard that were maybe correct and actually understand the rationale behind it. And actually kind of if someone was to be like, but what about this? Or I don't understand. I wouldn't just be like, oh, I don't know. I could actually explain it so I could kind of understand the principles behind it. Or I could say it in a way that was so easy to understand that you can kind of explain it to a child. Then you know it, you know your shit. If you can't explain it to a child or it's too complicated. And I sometimes see people doing this. I'm kind of like, if this is going over my head, this is going over everyone's head. And if they can't explain it any more simply than that, do they even know what they're saying? You hear people talk about hormones, that comes out a lot. Like personal trainers talk about hormones. You're kind of like, oh,
0: yes, it's so, such a
1: blanket statement. It's like, what hormones are we talking about here? Yeah, no, a hundred percent. So it's certainly something I struggled with. And even when I was first starting the podcast, I initially started it uh, with a coach who actually isn't a coach anymore, but that kind of I started it together to try and just have a chat and to have discussions and to get some information out there and to get his name out there and then eventually it evolved into like Q&As with Mike and then that built my confidence to build bring on other people and it's just been an accumulation of knowledge and experience with these individuals so that I feel like when I'm having these chats I don't feel where out of my depth like, I have no idea what they're talking about. Right. Because I couldn't ask good questions if that was the case. Right. And uh, the, it would just be very obvious that you just had no idea what they were talking about. And they wouldn't enjoy it either because they'd be like, uh, yeah, this is really don't know, basic stuff. Or like I, I've talked about that a million times or something like that. So just kind of engrossing myself with, like I said, textbooks, seminars, education, podcasts, and then just interacting with these individuals on a daily basis, just it kind of really helped give me that kind of kind of strength in knowing that information I was putting out was certainly correct and certainly helpful. And then it's a case of you sometimes feel like you're just repeating what other people have said and right. you feel like you have nothing to add, which I still suffer with. Like I still yeah. think like what am I saying that Mike like why is someone asking me and not Mike or Eric or some other expert that I've had on the podcast and uh, they have PhDs, right? So I'm not I haven't got that. But I then prime i remind myself that i've got my own experiences i've also interacted with lots and lots of people and i've coached a lot of people and have my own practical <coughs> experience and practical experience from coaching other people and that in itself is experience and knowledge and something that they may not have and they may not have the time to answer the questions so in that way you can be a bit of an intermediary between kind of the expert and then the layperson, and try and Help kind of breach the gap, as it were. And I think that's initially where the podcast really came through and where I initially found my footing because before the podcast was anything, the content I was providing was articles. And I used to write articles every week and they actually caught on pretty well. And that's actually where the initial growth of Revive Stronger came. And that was basically me looking up to kind of the science and what kind of the experts were saying and thinking, this is. Put in quite complex language let me dumb it down and if i can do that then i know it really well and now other people know it well and then that's that kind of helped me and i kind of just found my place so i try and stick to kind of my field so i'm not like a researcher. So I'm never going to try and like reference every single study that's out there because I, I don't have the time to read the research right. um, to that depth. And I also don't understand it like a researcher does. Uh, you hear about these things, you hear about the, how the studies are conducted and it's like, that just goes way over your head if you've never been in a research study. So I try and just remind myself that, yeah, where's my experiences through my own training, years of consistency via implementing the principles and methods that these people talk about and doing it with clients. And then I try and share that. So yeah, imposter syndrome, it rears its ugly head regularly. You just have to kind of force yourself to become uncomfortable. Cause I think a lot of the time it can be used as an excuse, not to put out content, I agree. put yourself out there and uh, it's just do it <clears throat> and put your own twist on it, put your own experience on it and you'll start finding your footing and finding your own way of saying things like, I now no longer am like kind of mirroring Matt Ogus or someone like the Hodge Twins. I'm trying to, right. or mirroring like Eric Helms or Mike Isretel, I'm trying to just be me and talk to my kind of audience. Right, no, I, I love it, that, man. That's so,
0: that's such a good answer. I mean, I have, I coach quite a few coaches, quite a few coaches listen to this podcast and that's something that I've been asked about a ton, which is why it was something that I would ask. And also like myself, like interviewing people like you, it's the same thing, it's like shit. I feel like I don't know near as much as Steve does. Like, but so no, that's that's super relatable. That's exactly what I always tell people too. It's like you just have to like, no matter what, fit only just don't let it like kill your momentum. Like you have to act regardless. But I love it. I'm right, a man. So one thing I really want to talk about with you today was the primer phase, which is, I believe, a term that you and Pascal coined, right?
1: Yeah, I think it was. Essentially what it was is I'd heard of maintenance periods and like resensitization periods and basically low volume periods. And I was like, man, these just, none of them really, I mean, resensitization sounds quite cool, but it's quite kind of sciencey and maybe not kind of hard to say. Yeah. People don't necessarily understand what it even means. So I was like, what is this period of time doing? It's setting ourselves up for future. And that's kind of, Oh, it's a, it's a primer. So I'm going to take that, um, as my term, not it. Pascal. Uh, we did write, we, we kind of did the book together, but it's definitely, it was my term, not Pascal. So I think he would okay. let me have that credit.
0: <laughs> I love it. So can you break down, like if you're explaining to a client, what is the primer phase?
1: Cool. So like I said, a primer phase is a low volume training period at maintenance intake, calorie wise. And essentially what we're doing is holding ship. Uh, we are allowing ourselves to enjoy allowing our body to enjoy homeostasis when you think about um, any form of biology we're always striving to stay the same uh, in terms of like body weight regulation the body isn't trying to, it doesn't want to gain muscle it doesn't want to lose fat it doesn't really want to gain fat if it's in a like healthy steady place it just wants to stay the same which is homeostasis so that's what we have like um in our body, we regulate temperature, we regulate hunger, we regulate kind of hydration, all of these things are regulated. Um, And anytime we push ourselves away from homeostasis, away from this point the body wants to be at, it will kind of cause a stress and that is a stressor. So whenever we diet, whenever we kind of train for muscle growth, these sort of things are causing a stressor and over time, we see some resistance build up. We see um, some fatigue build up. So there's training-related fatigue, nutritional-related fatigue with dieting, and also gaining mass. Uh, we we get fatigued and stressed. So by having calories down, like at maintenance, we allow that kind of nutritional fatigue to reduce. When it's from massing in a surplus, it's not such a stressful thing psychologically. Like maybe it is, but physiologically, it's not a huge stress. The body's quite happy to put right. on weight but losing weight, Certainly we see metabolism drop. We saw we see hormones drop. We saw we see lots of negative kind of diet fatigue factors um, to coin, kind of put it all into one occurring. So by having a, a block at maintenance, you give your body a chance to reduce this fatigue. You increase calories. You see metabolism come back up a bit. You see hormones come back up a bit. And this can be very, very beneficial for um, people who are dieting, especially if they have like a lot of weight to lose. Um, I'm currently in like my contest prep or, I, I like to say this isn't contest prep at the moment because it's basically the diet before the real prep diet will begin. So, um, I pushed my body weight up a lot above stage weight. So I was like 40 pounds above my kind of lowest weigh-in. So Bam. I'm looking, yeah, I know. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping I don't need to lose quite as much That's kind as scary. 40 pounds, but it, it could be close, um, to lose that all in one chunk could be very inefficient. It could be, loss is certainly going to be hard to adhere to because all of those diet fatigue factors are going to build up. So what I'm going to be doing is once I've lost like 25 pounds of that, I'll be maintaining it, hoping to reduce lots of that diet fatigue, ramp my calories back up a little, um, and let my metabolism come back up and feel somewhat human again before I then try to diet down. And we're seeing these kind of intermittent uh, dieting approaches where we have kind of diet breaks, periods of time away from dieting are seeing better results for just athlete uh, for people in general, for fat loss, like adherence is a big thing for people psychologically. These breaks help loads, but also uh, for bodybuilders, (laughs) there's some kind of preliminary research coming out, but if you diet a bit slower, you have these breaks put in now and then it can be very, very beneficial. So from a dietary perspective, certainly when you're dieting, um, the kind of primer phase can be great because it's not a week at maintenance. It's at least like a month at maintenance. And we found like, as more research comes out, a single day refeed is not doing too much, right? A couple of days, refeeding is doing a little bit, three days, better, more and more days are better and better and better. Um, and I'm not even thinking that a month is necessarily going to be able to completely recover you from like four months, three months of dieting, but it's certainly going to be better than no time or like a couple of days or a week. So psychologically that will help people continue to kind of maintain the weight loss as well. A lot of people end diets and then just end up splurging. So by breaking up the diet into chunks can be incredibly beneficial. So that's from like a nutritional perspective, why maintenance can be really great uh, because the the body just likes actually maintaining Right. from a dietary perspective. It just allows you to keep that fat off and kind of potentially lose more in future. And then from a training perspective, uh, as bodybuilders, particularly, we always like to be just pushing volume and kind of pushing ourselves really hard and we never want to pull back. And the unfortunate thing is one really obvious one is that we build up just accumulated fatigue and we get niggles and that kind of little elbow niggle that you have, like in your first month becomes like a serious niggle by like month five. And if you keep pushing, you can risk injury quite easily Uh, we have deload periods potentially which help to reduce fatigue but mostly muscular you're not going to see big kind of recovery within joints with ligaments and tissues like that they don't have much blood flow through them so they take a while to recover properly so actually having a month or more where we're low volume that really allows some of these kind of uh, structures to recover more effectively Okay. When we train with higher and higher volumes as well, we see this, what I termed adaptive resistance. So you can think of this as the same with um, any biological thing. When you push it in one direction, the body pushes back in the other direction. So it's like adaptive more, thermogenesis. essentially. Yeah. Like um, adaptive thermogenesis is very similar. Yeah. If people call that like uh, metabolic damage, but like you said, it's like adaptive thermogenesis, you diet. So then the body adapts, you burn fewer calories. Uh, Even again, just another example for me, I started my cut and my resting heart rate was up in the fifties, like low fifties. And now I've just dropped down. Wait, is that right? Maybe up towards the sixties. And now I've just dropped down into the forties. It's kind of, it's already come down 10 beats. Really? Yeah. So that's, that's incredible, right? How Um, much weight have you lost? So I've lost 20, almost, yeah, about 20 pounds so far. So yeah, this is just the body adapting and people say they get cold on a diet. Again, thermo kind of regulation. If you're less hot, then that's burning fewer calories. People get really hot on a kind of surplus, right? Because the right. body's trying to adapt and stop these changes occurring. So with training, we get this like, yeah, adaptive resistance response where the more we push it with higher and higher volumes, we push hypertrophy, we get this accumulated fatigue and I won't try and admit that I'm an expert in these areas, but things like Um, AMP kinase, so AMPK, which is like a catabolic factor, starts building and building and building. mTOR starts reducing, which is like an anabolic kind of um, marker that starts kind of diminishing. As we train with more and more high volume, we may see a switch or a kind of a ratio move towards slower twitch muscle fiber types which are less kind of hypertrophic uh, potential within those right so we start seeing all of these things and potentially again you start getting these niggles maybe you find that you're, you're not getting a pump quite as easily you're not getting kind of soreness as easily these kind of markers that biological kind of feedback biofeedback that's kind of telling you you're not getting as much from your training maybe you kind of you could do three sets of curls and you'd get like a nasty bicep pump. And now it's like after five sets, you're like, I'm really not getting much. And you're just getting to this point where the level of volume that you're having to do to get like an efficacious response of hypertrophy is just getting out of favor. So this is where the lowering the training volume comes in. So you kind of wipe the slate clean. And this is where kind of the term resensitization comes in, where you allow these muscles to recover and you allow them to then be more sensitive to volume coming out. So I don't know if your listeners are aware of kind of the volume landmarks by Mike Isretel? A little bit, yeah. So just to kind of briefly cover those, we have minimum effective volume, the least volume we need to do to see like an efficacious hypertrophic response, maximum adaptive volume, the best volume we can do to grow at, and then MRV, which is max recoverable volume, the most volume we can do and recover from. And over time, as we're seeing this adaptive resistance build up, The MEV, the least we have to do to grow is rising gradually and gradually to a point where it's almost touching our MRV. So the actual progression, the maximum adaptive volume window is becoming (coughs) smaller and smaller. So our ability to grow muscle is diminishing. So by doing this primer phase, by resensitizing ourselves, we bring our MEVs back down so that it's that volume kind of window opens up again. So we have much more room to grow. The great thing is with the primer phase, we also focus on love, uh, lower repetitions. So again, what that allows us to do is probably prioritize faster twitch muscle fibers, which are going to be more so used during the lower repetition ranges. And therefore we can hopefully kind of change the ratio of our muscle fibers to slightly more fast, twitch. again, more hypertrophic potential puts us in a better position coming out into a hypertrophy phase, higher volume phase afterwards. So, yeah, I've talked a lot there. Um, I don't know if there's anything you had any questions or anything else you wanted no, to No, and to. that makes
0: complete sense. So, one thing
1: I wanted to ask about is the shifting of muscle fiber types, which is something
0: I've read a lot about the idea of a resensitization phase. That word always fucks me up. But in the past, this was reading the primer phase that was something that was new to me as far as like why this might be important how quickly and i know this is a very very hard thing to measure but how quickly is it thought that that shift from like okay your muscles are becoming slower twitch to faster twitch like how quickly is it thought that that happens
1: it's a very good question uh, i asked a very similar question to cody horn who you might have heard him on yeah listen to podcast, great one yeah so he uh He talked about some of the, there's more and more research coming out that this kind of the primer phase and that kind of everything I talked about there was more theoretical and based off mechanistic data and no direct studies. Whereas now we're getting direct studies that are saying that this sort of kind of detraining effect uh, is certainly happening and where we can take kind of even like full weeks off training, we can end up growing just as much as people who never take weeks off training, these sort of things. So it's becoming more and more obvious that these phases do help. But that question, um, I asked kind of how long do we need to be at low volumes to see kind of the resensitization to occur. And again, Cody wasn't fully sure yet. And I don't think we have data to to know that. And I don't think we've got data to answer your question yet either. So I would just say the biofeedback is quite helpful. So when you start feeling like you're in the gym and you're just not getting the same sort of stimulus that you used to out of your training. So like I said, like the pumps, the soreness, kind of you start feeling your exercises more systemically so more full body fatigue rather than kind of right within the muscle group that you're trying to train right i think when those things start adding up that's when it's like ah that might be a time where you're starting to move in that direction okay
0: okay so i had brian borstein on the podcast a couple weeks ago if you're familiar with him
1: um yeah i know brian
0: okay okay so He more or less, we talked through something similar as far as what he's doing in evolved training systems right now. And he kind of frames this as a strength phase. Whereas my understanding with you is more like a maintenance phase, correct? Yeah.
1: So I have previously named it, I think you could name it a strength phase. Okay. Fair Um, enough. I think in the context of a bodybuilder, I often don't only because, I mean, how it, you could frame it however you like, so long as like the overriding principles are the same. So like I mentioned, it's lower volume, higher intensities in terms of like load on the bar. That sounds like a strength phase. So if right. that allows you to like be like, okay, I, I can accept doing a low volume phase. and right, right. it, Awesome. Um, I don't tend to name it a strength phase. I think it's just terminology difference rather okay. than anything else.
0: Okay. So like in a phase like this, it would be perfectly fine to like, I am going to really push the intensity within still very limited volumes. Correct?
1: Yeah, absolutely. The most important thing is that you're allowing kind of volume to be maintained within like maintenance volumes, essentially, which is very, very small. So you can go up in intensities and there's no issue there.
0: Okay. So when we're going, when we're transitioning to a phase like this, like when you're transitioning a client into a phase like this, typically how much volume are you going to reduce by?
1: So, um, I think typically I reduce their minimum effective volume and I reduce by 40%. So doing about 60% of their minimum effective volume. So for some muscle groups, that's coming down from like 12 sets down to about six or eight sets. So um, typically for like legs, they're coming down to around like five, six sets, mostly compound lifts. And then the upper body is around like six, eight sets for like chest and back. And then a lot of the time, the kind of biceps and things like this they get kind of enough stimulation to maintain just through the pulling and things but people get very worried to completely remove out all isolation work so i tend to put in a little bit of that as well but so long as it's a real efficacious drop from what you typically train with i think that is doing the job Um, in terms of like, you could probably eat at maintenance and for a week you could not train and you're not losing muscle. So like you could really argue how low can maintenance volume be? It could be seriously low. You could get away with very little for, for a short period of time, at least. Okay.
0: Okay. So in a phase like this, then do you think there'd be any harm to like on our, and I'm just kind of random thoughts here, but like on our compound movements, okay. We're decreasing volume pretty drastically but then we're still having this, like, higher rep pump work with, let's say, three to four isolation movements per session. Does that, it sounds like that would still kind of defeat the purpose of, like, can we, tr- if we're trading for strength or compound movements and then more hyper-free movement work with our isolation movements, does that still kind of defeat the purpose of a maintenance phase then?
1: Yeah, I think importantly the most important thing is that the total like hard sets the number of sets we're doing is down towards maintenance i think you could do higher rep kind of pump work but that might not get what you wanted in terms of the kind of ratio muscle fiber shift down to more so faster twitch fibers so i tend to constrain repetition ranges uh, as high as 15 but focused more on like the four to six repetition range okay so yeah i try not to get the kind of pump work in like that. And typically uh, I'm coming into this phase after a kind of training phase where we've been doing that a lot. So normally people are like sick of doing any kind of high rep pump work. They're like, thank God I get to just lift heavy.
0: Right. Okay. Which was going to be my next question for you is, is it, is it often hard
1: to sell this idea of
0: that? We're just going to maintain for a month to your clients.
1: It absolutely is. Um, And it's even hard to sell it to myself because I am like someone who just wants to be moving forward all the time. I don't want to think about holding and... uh, it's not something you can necessarily like see the benefits of. It's not like you enter a fat loss phase. You're like, oh, I'm getting leaner or you enter a gaining phase. It's like, Oh, I'm getting fuller. Or like I, I'm enjoying eating all the food. It's just like, Oh, I'm in a maintenance phase. Like, I look the, the same or maybe even a bit flatter or like, Oh, so I try and emphasize the other benefits that maintenance phase brings. And that's kind of time to really get their RARs potentially dialed in, get technique dialed in potentially possibly move to more of an intuitive eating approach we're seeing kind of a lot of benefits with kind of taking the mental strain especially for physique competitors to actually go to a mindful slash intuitive eating where they don't kind of really track everything can they just kind of eyeball their protein and make sure their scale weight stable i think when you kind of put it into that perspective of there's lots of other things during this period of time that you can focus on outside of training that can be really beneficial um, right. i can see if people are like no i have to like have something going on with my training then you can call it a strength phase and then maybe that sells that person on it a bit more um, it. yeah that's it it definitely is tricky but i think Fortunately for me, because Revive Stronger, the name's grown and people kind of come to us and know how we go about things a little bit more. They kind of expect it. And some right. people are excited to do it, in fact, because they just have never done it. And what I'll say is it's similar to a deload. So I don't know if you've had clients who have never done a deload before. Right. And then they're uh, like, yeah, then they're nervous to do a deload, yeah. right? And you're like, come on, just commit to it. And then they do it. And I don't know if you've had this. I imagine you have, but they've done it. And they come into their first week of training and they're like, Oh my god, right. like, I feel like a god. Right. This is amazing. I love D loads. And now like you've got them sold on D loads and they do them. It's similar to a primer phase. Once they've kind of done it, they're like, Wow, like I actually I know I don't really like doing them, but every time I come out, I feel fresh as a daisy, the pumps are so good, my results just fly through. So uh, yeah, it's, it's a t- tricky sell, but once you've got them in,
0: <laughs> I love it. And I can 100% relate to that, even myself, because just recently, this was something I did. And like the same, like what you were talking about with yourself, it's like, this is so hard to like, this is literally all I'm going to do for the next month. Like, I feel, I'm not, what am I doing? But no, I get it. And like, just like we've talked about here, I've definitely seen the benefits of it myself. So um, do you always pair... Like when you have a client take a maintenance phase for their nutrition. Now this might be, maybe not, this could potentially be a bit different because I know you work with a lot more advanced, like bodybuilders, a lot of coaches and whatnot. But I'm thinking of like, for example, I had a lot of clients. One that comes to mind has lost 70 pounds over the last year and we spent wow, the whole awesome. holiday. We spent the whole holidays like, all right, you're just going to sit at maintenance. Like we are just like quote unquote practicing maintenance, steal from Eric Helms. Like, all I want you to do is just you're gonna practice all these habits. If you can maintain your weight over this, like the time people fall off the most, we know you're good, like any other time of the year, you're gonna crush it. But kind of rambling. Um, do you my question originally was do you always pair that with a decrease in training volume as far as like a maintenance phase of nutrition, or does that kind of con is that kind of context dependent?
1: so no i know exactly what you're saying where someone like you said they've lost a heck of a lot of weight so in reality you don't want them you want them to hold that for a while Mm -hmm. because it becomes easy to splurge the other way if you let the reins off too much right
0: right right but we're not so worried like in that case i'm not worried that like hey you're really pushing towards your mrv here does that make sense
1: yeah i think uh when the the context is kind of you need more time nutritionally at maintenance but training wise you don't need to hold back for that longer period of time so it's like well can we raise training volume whilst eating at maintenance you definitely definitely can and you can still grow from that uh, see body recomposition happening uh, for sure and uh, if you're dialing in your training you're training of higher volumes and you're kind of really making sure to dial in nutritional timing sleep these sort of things you can definitely see progress there and it might just be that psychologically he just w- wants to not be training with low volumes for that long period of right. time so absolutely um and i've clients who uh, i've actually got a client at the moment who has a bit of kind of gut troubles so he just struggles to eat sufficiently to be in a surplus so it's kind of like well let's we're not going to train at low volume forever so let's push the volumes let's make sure you're enjoying training let's dial in as much as we can we're we're on a bit of a back foot for muscle growth, but we can still grow and we can still progress. So no, absolutely. I think you can definitely do that. Like you can definitely fall away from some of the like ideals and optimums, right. um, when that sort of thing throws its kind of face in there.
0: Okay. Okay. So on the flip side, when you have a client that is like, okay, we're really pushing your MRVs getting close to your MRB. We need to decrease this. We need to take a low volume phase. Do you always drop their nutrition back to maintenance?
1: So yes, um, I would be very unlikely apart from maybe in a phase where we've just finished like a contest prep diet and then we've done like a six weeks in like a pretty assertive recovery kind of diet phase, like the 3dmj guys, where maybe you've gained back up to like 10% of your body weight. But after that six week period, you're still not feeling like quite there. We're probably wanting to dial back volume a little bit because you're probably just feeling super fatigued after all the kind of contest prep and then during that kind of recovery phase i tend to push training still hard there to make the most out of all that nutrition so maybe there i'd be like uh, let's go to like kind of gain so we're trying to maintain but if you go over a little bit like i'm not stressing about it we're still trying to kind of somewhat recover from your contest prep but generally in just like a straight maintenance period when we're at maintenance volume if we go into a surplus we're gaining fat and not right. muscle. That's kind of like the fact of maintenance volume. Unfortunately, right. there is no muscle to be gained with that amount of volume. It's just not enough to be growing from it. So I, I try and encourage people to yeah, be their best and be at maintenance. But sometimes, like, like I said, if someone's done a really long dieting phase, they go into maintenance, like maybe they gain like some water and glycogen, but maybe a little bit of fat as well, but they enjoyed themselves. And that, that will come right back off if they diet down again. And if they've been in a bit of a surplus during that period of time, they'll have got even more diet fatigue kind of reduction. So I'm not stressing about it. It's just so long as we're not trying to be in like a mass phase through that period of time. And it'll be a, a, a small surplus if one was to occur. Okay.
0: Okay. So do you work with many general population athletes at all?
1: Um, I would say probably maybe one or two, not very many. Okay. (laughs) It's a small number.
0: Okay. So what is, then let's talk like bodybuilding wise and like for a client coming out of, so you just got somebody ready for a show. What is the month post show or even like, I don't know if you do like some type of reverse dieting process. I'm having Eric Trexler on here Thursday. So this is something I want to get super in depth with on him about, but I also want to get your thoughts on this. Like, What's your process like post-show as far as like nutrition?
1: Cool. So post-show, for me, the goal is recovery. Um, So to get the person back to feeling good again and so that they're in a productive position to start growing muscle and they're trying to have their kind of improvement season, off-season improvement season. So get them to a productive place, basically. Um, The trouble with like the old school. And I think maybe Lane Norton has updated his views on reverse dieting. It was kind of a a case where you would slowly trickle in five grams of carbs, like a couple of grams of fat and minuscule amounts. Again, that's, that's furthering kind of your unhealthy relationship with food and also you're continuing a deficit. And I've seen people do this and get themselves into really deep holes. Um, I've worked with some guys who have gone through that process and really not been in a good place. Um, And they've essentially prolonged their contest prep for like another four months, slowly tricking up calories, only just reaching maintenance over like a long extended period of time. And that is not fun. Um, And that's what we found not to be a clever idea. And what we're trying to do, like I said, recover. So I immediately actually bring someone into a surplus. So it's it's an estimated surplus, but it's a pretty significant surplus. It's not even like a general mass phase where maybe we're gaining one to 2% of body weight. Per month, it's more like we're gaining like 1% of body weight per week here. So you're in a nice, like hefty surplus, and it's going to be individualized. So, for like a bikini competitor, generally they don't get as lean. So, it's a little bit less assertive for the females, um, depending on the person. Some of them, like maybe they need it, others maybe not. Again, for the guy, if they're someone who can hold a lean physique and they feel pretty good at that, then maybe it's a bit on the slower side. But for someone who just has lost a ton of weight and they t- it takes them quite a bit to feel normal again, maybe you push that more assertively. So like I said, getting straight into a surplus after the show, this has continued for about six to eight weeks where they're in this quite assertive kind of recovery phase. And in that phase, I also push training volume up a bit. So with all this food coming in their kind of max recoverable volume just shoots up um, because they've just got (laughs) such a surplus. Uh, And so we can gain back, like maybe if we lost any lean tissue or lost any kind of strength, we can start gaining all of that back very rapidly during this period of time. And typically people are just super driven and motivated they just finished a contest prep they're like all oh, this food's coming in oh my gosh like i'm getting like the best pumps of my life because i'm in such a huge surplus and i'm super shredded and they're just feeling great and i want to get them focusing on performance in the gym and less on their physique so kind of really focusing on kind of really bringing up huge, using like the kitchen sink of hypertrophy we've got all our like pump work in there we've got our heavy work in there we're just trying to push every angle so that lasts about six to eight weeks and then I typically bring people down to around the maintenance period and towards that primer phase. And this might be where they're in a kind of maintenance or maybe a very small surplus where they're still holding on to some fatigue, but we start reducing kind of, they've got big amounts of training fatigue right now and probably quite high psychological fatigue from just pushing everything for so long. So I bring people back to maintenance for about a month there. And then that's where they kind of start their true off season. So it's kind of like a 10 week built in recovery period uh, for people to go through. And then yeah, the improvement season starts to begin.
0: Okay. Okay. I love it. So do you think there is ever any application for like, okay, we're going to give you like five grams carbs, five grams fat for the
1: next two weeks. Is there like ever any application for that in your thinking? I think let me know if this I'm right. Are you thinking that you might use this leading into shows if you're already kind of ahead of time? I don't know. This is, this is an application, at least. I don't know why I've tried to ask you if that's the way you're headed with your <laughs> thoughts, but I've done this myself. So uh, I, w- I think giving you an example makes it a little bit easier for people to understand. In 2017, I had zero expectations of what I was going to be able to achieve. So Uh, I did not plan to be at British finals, but I qualified for two British finals and they were many months in the future. And I was like, I'm shredded now, what am I gonna do? Uh, So this is an application I think for reverse dieting where we are trying to maintain a lean physique but we are trying to potentially like fill out a little bit more glycogen. You're less glycogen depleted performance. Maybe can be a bit greater as you're reducing the deficit over a number of weeks. So it might not be as, I mean, maybe you would do five grams and two grams of carbs, uh, two grams of fat. Maybe it'd be more like, like 10 to 20 grams of carbs. That's I'd just push carbohydrates up, but it, it might be the other way. And yeah, slowly do this and kind of keep a real close eye every week on the physique and how it's looking and that's essentially what I ended up doing like reverse dieting over a couple of months into the british finals and I managed to kind of maintain my level of leanness and come in even fuller and crisper uh, and that was awesome because that's also kind of the ideal position to be in because you're such like you've closed you're in a kind of a, a decent deficit and then you're closing the gap each week with the reverse diet so right. that when you come to your show you kind of done a really long peak month because you've slowly filled your kind of bucket of carb like with glycogen and with water and so your look is very consistent and you're feeling great like much much better like i say great in comparative to like being in a big deficit you feel much better and you're just at the cost of maintenance and this is really cool because then you transition really nicely into a surplus for that kind of recovery period okay Uh, a lot of people don't get unfortunately to have this kind of month where they can kind of reverse calories up into like a show, but sometimes you can kind of plan things ahead or you're ahead of time. So you can do this. Uh, But that's definitely an application that I think is a pretty decent one. Okay. Okay. That,
0: that makes sense. And I've honestly never looked at it like that. Like I've had a lot of people get ready for photo shoots and then post photo shoot. like, yeah, can I just reverse diet and like stay the shredded? But it's the thing is you feel like shit right now. Your biofeedback is super low. Like, and if we do increase your calories, if you still feel the shitty, you're not going to be able to get back to productive training, building muscle, so on and so forth. But all right, that makes sense. So one other thing I wanted to ask you about your bulk, like you said, you've gained 40 pounds since from your stage weight, correct?
1: Yeah. So my stage weight, uh, I was up maybe just o- over 35 pounds. So I was like 165 pounds there or thereabouts or a bit higher, maybe some shows, uh, Yeah on stage and then I I got to a peak of 202 pounds. So yeah, like 35 pounds or so
0: Okay, okay so when you're setting up a bulk for a client then like Are there specific parameters that you give them as far as like what's your rate of gain? We're looking like per week so on and so forth
1: cool so I have Tried various approaches, and uh, I, I initially, if I give background, I initially did like a complete, like I call it a folk. So I think I stole that term from Alan Aragon. It was like a fat bulk, basically, ben, where uh, I thought I was doing like a clean bulk because I was eating all quote unquote clean foods, but just tons and way more than I needed. Okay. And I gained shed loads of weight very quickly, and I became podgy pretty quickly. Uh, so that wasn't great. And then after I'd done that, and then that was basically an off season where I then competed for the first time. And I was like, I never want to get like fat like that again. And I started really kind of being meticulous over my rate of gain, trying to gain at like 1% at most per month. And that led to a lot of wheel spinning because I was just overly obsessing about the scale, one week it would go up a bit quick. So I was like, oh, I better push calories down. And then it would go back down. I was like, oh God, I have to like juggle everything. And it I was just focusing way too much on the scale for that period of time. So unfortunately, wasted maybe a couple of years doing that. And then I kind of landed on what I've been on for the last like four years or so, where I'm looking to gain around one to two percent of additional body weight per month. So uh, that's a pretty decent amount, like every two weeks, I tend to look at it like 0.5 to 1% additional weight, which like could be uh, quite decent for a guy and even fairly decent, maybe sometimes for females. And I tend to standardize that across the board. Uh, I don't work with a lot of novice people. Um, so right online coaching doesn't tend to work super well for novices. So I tend to get more like intermediate, late intermediate advanced people. Uh, But even for them, I find that rate of gain just works super well. So even if someone advanced can't gain muscle theoretically as quickly as someone intermediate, because we've got that adaptive resistance, the body doesn't want to gain as much muscle because we're a bigger person now and gaining any more than this is just something it doesn't want to do. It's a costly process. The way I look at it now is If we're gaining much slower than one to two percent per month how are we tracking that how can we be sure in a surplus it's really hard to manage and then if gaining muscle is so hard as someone advanced why would we ever look to slow or make it kind of more hard by not guaranteeing we're in a surplus so i like that kind of um pretty moderate surplus to ensure that we're in one because like I use the analogy that gaining muscles, like cycling uphill, it's just a battle. It's super hard. So if we can kind of increase calories, make sure we're in a surplus, kind of make that hill a little bit easier to climb, I'm all for it. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of where I tend to go with a surplus in an off season.
0: Okay. And I agree a hundred percent. I feel like it's a very fine line between, like, I know for, speaking for me personally, I went through in college, I gained 75 pounds and I would see the scale jump up like three weeks. And it's like, oh, I and this was when I was getting like more intermediate to even like intermediate advanced. It's like, oh yeah, I for sure just gained. Like it's easy to lie to yourself, be like, I gained three pounds of muscle this week. Yeah, that seems realistic. But then it's like, okay. Then when I finally I was, yeah, maybe like 10 to 15 pounds away from being super lean. Then when I finally got around to it, I had to lose. I went from two forty-five to one eighty. Shit. Okay. Wow. <laughs> it's a long way. So then it's like now I'm gonna try to be very conservative with this and make sure that I'm not gaining any extra fat. And then it's like, just like you said, spend so much time spinning your wheels, <laughs> well shit, I just wasted like three three months just trying to be too conservative and then we don't know for sure if I'm even like in a surplus at all. So anyways, I agree 100%, I guess is what I'm saying, but I love it. Okay, perfect, man. So that makes sense. Um, as far as then like when you're bulking, for someone like when we're talking about training, how often would you insert a um, primer phase into this?
1: Cool. So I tend to use primer phases at most, probably once every six months. Okay. So twice a year at most, Most, and they're generally a month at a period of time. Um, yeah, most people don't seem to need them more often than that, especially if you throw, and something I use now and then are mini cuts. So these are kind of essentially very short, as 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 the term cutting periods, where we lose a lot of fat for a sh- and a short over a short period of time, and I tend to hold volume at minimum effective volume, so I don't push up to MRV, so that we get a bit of resensitization a bit of fatigue reduction through doing that. So by doing that, you may find that you can kind of go through a whole year of just one primer phase, but it depends on the person. If they're someone who's looking to lose a lot of body fat, there may be more of them put in because that kind of the fatigue that going through a deficit provides is just greater than being in a surplus.
0: Right. Okay. Okay. So when you're doing a mini cut, one thing I wanted to walk back to, um, so you, you're saying you drop volume to like minimum effective volume when you're taking someone through a mini cut.
1: Yeah. Essentially, typically when cutting my advice is to approach it like you were in a gaining phase, like you're trying to push for muscle growth because we've got a nutritional deficiency which means muscle protein breakdown is just great we haven't got the anabolic kind of signal coming from a surplus right so we need the training kind of that's the other side of kind of muscle protein synthesis muscle growth is training however because a mini cut so short uh, you tend to be able to get away with a short period of time where you aren't pushing the volume the training parameter is high we're not training with maintenance volumes we're training with minimum effective volumes, which probably become about a maintenance amount of volume for a mini cut. Right. And because I cap mini cuts at six weeks, I think you probably can maintain your muscle well enough over that period of time. I think if people then try and push it longer and they don't push volumes up and they still can try and be kind of aggressive, they start digging themselves into a hole.
0: Right. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Dope. Dope. Well, Cool. I mean, I think that's all I have for him, man. I want to be super respectful of your time. So Anything at all you want to plug, I know you have a lot going on with the member site, all that. Go ahead and throw that out there.
1: Awesome. So yeah, we spoke about the Primer Phase quite a lot. So we do have our Primer Phase ebook and we also have an audio uh, that people can download that via audio. You can get a German man, uh, Pascal Flau, um, speaking through the Primer great Phase as well. <laughs> yeah, he has a great voice. So uh, that's a short book. So if people want to kind of learn more and dig into the, the weeds a bit more for uh, the Primer Phase, that's there. And then also, like you said, our membership site, that's something we launched this year and we're super proud of. So we'd love people to come and join our community there. It's a really kind of low cost uh, every month. And we've got presentations from experts, people we've had on the podcast. We've got research reviews in there. We've got a really cool forum where people are kind of communicating and we're vlogging now and then as well. So it's a really cool little thing that we've got growing. So yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I've really enjoyed it. Of course, man. Thank you for being
0: here.